You know, uh, last week, Pastor Terrence, as I said, kicked off this series for us. And today I want to pick up where he kind of left off a little bit. And, um, and so I want to share some things with you today um, and just lay a little bit of groundwork for kind of some of the rest of the series. And today I'm really going to be sharing with you more about some of the spiritual part of it. Um, and we'll get into some more of the practicals uh, next week and even in the weeks to come. Uh, but I really wanted to lay some groundwork. And we were actually just singing about some of these things a few moments ago. You know, but I believe that, and, and even from a natural perspective, but how many of you know that we are spirit people? Like every one of us are a spirit. I know we use the term, well, I'm not a spiritual person. Yes, you are. Everybody is a spiritual person. There's no doubt about it. Why? Because you are a spirit. What you see in the mirror is not the real you. That's just your outward. The Bible calls it a tent. And it says one day it will come that you will lay your tent aside. And the real you is going to go to one of two places. That's what the word of God tells us. But here's what I, here's what I would encourage you is that heaven is not just a future destination to arrive to. Is that God wants us to experience some heaven on earth. And that is possible. And many times it comes down to what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks. Is that it comes down to how we think and how we view and the lens through which we look at the world. And, and so over the last couple of years, number of years now, it's, you know, and even with some of the lockdowns and all the things that we've walked through. And even for us here uh, more regionally, if you will, we've experienced a lot of things, but we've heard a lot of conversation about mental health, you know, and I think that it's very important. And uh, back in October, we actually uh, touched on this a little bit and actually brought in my brother-in-law, who's a psychologist. I would encourage you as a series called Healed. I believe it was week four. We, he was here with me and uh, we talked about some of these things. And this was that was kind of like a, a prequel, if you will, to this series. And, um, you know, because I believe that in the church, we ought to talk about mental health. We ought to talk about why, because it's part of who we are. We're not just spirit and we're not just body. We also have a soul, which is our mind. It's our will. It's our thoughts. It's our emotions, you know, and sometimes our feelings and our emotions can lie to us. And sometimes we can give them too much place in our life. And it affects how we experience our day-to-day life. Now, there are, and I'm not minimizing this at all, if you need to go to a counselor, you need to go to a counselor. If you had a bad cut, I wouldn't just tell you, just go home and pray about it. I would say, that's a really bad cut. You might want to go get that looked at. Why? Because some infection can set in and it gets worse and worse and worse. But when it comes to this idea of mental health, we just want to say, oh, you just need to go pray. You just need to go read your Bible. You need to go to church. And all of those things can help you. But if you're stuck and can't get some answers, I would encourage you. We actually talked about this back in October with my brother-in-law. He's a Christian licensed psychologist. There's a difference between talking to just somebody and somebody who can speak to it from a spiritual perspective. There's a big difference because we don't want to approach this type of a topic from just a humanistic perspective because we have a resource that's way greater than ourselves, and we want to tap into that. That is the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, there are legitimate psychological challenges that we have. I mean, I've been open about mine. I've dealt with depression. The Lord has delivered me. But guess what? I had to continue to walk that out. 
I'm still mindful of that. It's been, I was 17, I'm 42, so you do the math. Roughly 25 years ago, pretty close to it. It is 25 years ago. In a moment, my life got changed. I didn't have a clue what happened. I didn't understand what happened, but I know this. I didn't really care. I didn't have to understand it, but I knew that I was different in a moment of time. But even to this day, I'm very mindful and very aware that I have some old thought processes that I can fall back into. And even though Galatians 5.1 says that Christ has set us free, but it gives us this little warning. See to it that you stay free. So just because God sets us free or God works in a moment doesn't mean, well, oh, it's just, it's over. No, I need to be mindful and aware that I have some processes. I'm going to talk about this just for a moment here. Um, but, but just like if you walked in your yard every day, what's going to happen to the grass? It dies and there becomes a rut where you walk every day. Do you know that happens in your brain with thought processes? The more you think a certain way, the more it just becomes easy to take the path of least resistance. And so we have to do some things. And so this morning, though, what I want to share with you and some of, and I'm going to kind of take a, a, a main point here at the beginning And then I'm going to give you a little bit more spiritual, practical, biblical things at the end. But because of what we're talking about, I want to share some things with you that I think are vitally important at the really here at the beginning of of my part of communicating to you is that I believe that there are legitimate psychological challenges that people face, especially today and especially with what we're walking through. But here's what I want you to know is that we need to be careful to not be easily labeled or accept a label because of our challenge. You may be challenged, but that does not mean that is who you are. And it's easy to accept that label. Like, I'll give you one in my own life. I wish that when I was specifically in elementary and middle school, that ADD was as readily uh, applied to everyone as it is today. It would have helped me a lot because I wouldn't have gotten so much trouble for being bored in school. I'd finish my work and then I want to start talking. I mean, I, I joke about it. It's kind of true, though. The best day of my life was when they took conduct off of my report card. Hallelujah. I stopped getting so many spankings. I'd have decent grades and like a D and an F in conduct. Because, I, I mean, ADD, you had to like, it was not a good thing to have ADD. People were like, oh, man. But it would have helped me. But see, in some ways, I'm glad that I didn't have that label because it didn't give me the excuse to stay the way I was. And if we're not careful, we'll accept a label and then we'll begin to excuse like, well, this is just the way that I am. Just because you have a challenge does not mean that God doesn't have a way or desire to see you grow beyond that, to work in your life and to deliver you from that, because it could be circumstantial. Like there were parts of my life, like my personality is not prone to be introverted. But by experience, I am. But when I was young, I wasn't. So my life has altered me in some ways. And so my walk with God and my experience with God has actually been really finding out who he's created me to be, not what my experience has created me to be. 
And if we're not careful, we will allow our experiences in life, even the words of other people, moments of challenge to label us, to define us and say, well, this is who you are. My question to that is, says who? Because many times I believe that we believe things about us that Jesus does not say about us. We've bought into it hook, line, sinker. We've taken it. We've swallowed the hook. And this is just who I am. But Jesus says, no, I've recreated you in me, a new creation. That old stuff can be, can be put away and I've got something new for you. And so I've had the experience where God has delivered me in a moment, but I've also walked with the process of learning to begin to wear out some new pathways of thinking. Like I'll give you another example, which this partly ties in a little bit, but I can have extreme insecurities. Like extreme insecurity. Which I know you probably think like, but you get up and talk in front of people. This is one of the few times I don't think about myself. That I'm not keenly aware. And yet, even just something that simple, of just an insecurity. Well, is that because I'm putting my trust and my faith and, and really believing for me to be able to figure things out? Because I've had to learn, and let me say it this way, I've had to unlearn those insecurities. You know, you weren't born with insecurity. It's a learned thing. And we're going to talk about this. And so, you know, I, I want to establish this truth right here at the onset. And, and please hear me clearly today. Is that Jesus is the same. The Bible says yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, if he did it for somebody in the Bible 2,000 years ago, he will still do it for you today. And so you can say, well, does Jesus heal? Does he change? The Bible says, no, he's the same yesterday because Jesus existed before he existed in the scriptures. The Bible says that he framed the world. So even from the, from the very beginning, the inception of everything that we know, Jesus was there. But yet he never changes. The Bible actually says that he is the anointing of God. You're like, well, what's the anointing? It is the power of God. And we're not just left to ourselves to try to be mentally stronger or just have some kind of mental fortitude to just fight a little harder and to get ourselves up. Is that we have the power of God because we have Jesus in our life. And the Bible says that he is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. Again, I don't have to wait to heaven to participate with the benefits. I can experience it now. And so even the term anointing actually means this. It means the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. You're like, well, what is the anointing? I don't know. But I can tell you where I can find it. I can't quantify for you in words what the anointing of God is. I can use a lot of words. I can say it's the power of God, but it's really more than that. It's the closeness of God, but it's more than that. It's God's ability to do what I can't do, but it's more than that. It's not just simply one of those things. But what I can tell you is I know where I can find the anointing, which is in God's presence. Because why? It's who he is. It's kind of the idea that we talk about that God isn't, just doesn't do good. No, God is good. 
See, God is power. God is ability. And so many times we can get caught in a rut or some type of a a mental process and thought. And we never stop to think, how can I actually get out of this? And the answer is very simple. We were just singing about it. Is that Jesus changes everything. In a moment of time, I was not looking for it. I didn't pray for it. But God showed up in the middle of all of my mess and things began to change. I wasn't serving God, didn't care to serve God. I wanted nothing to do with church. The problem was, is that I I encountered something that was not just the words of scripture, but I actually encountered the Jesus of the Bible. And when I encountered him, things began to change and things began to shift. And it had nothing to do with me and the same that God has done for me, God will do for you. There's no doubt about it. I mean, at least you're in church. I wasn't even in church. But yet God met me right where I was. I was actually 16, not 17. It was my junior year of high school. I remember the moment very, very vividly. And it changed the whole course of my life because of one moment. That I actually experienced God's presence. And when I experienced his presence, all of a sudden the church stuff kind of started to make a little bit more sense to me. I was like, oh, I kind of understand this worship thing a little bit more. I understand why people like lift their voice and raise their hands and they worship like, I get it. It's not just form. There's actual reality to some of this. Now, it took me some time to kind of process through all of that, but I began to realize it. And so in, in John chapter 8, verse 32 Jesus speaking, he says this, and it's very important. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, this word know here is not like know it in my head. It's not book knowledge. It's actually in the Jewish culture. It's actually like know like the intimacy of a husband and a wife. Like I know things about my wife. Like my wife can say the same thing five different ways and I know what she means. By the tone of her voice. You might say, she just said the same thing. I'm like, no, she didn't. You didn't catch that little eye roll, did you? Because that little eye roll was the exclamation point on take the trash. How many, how many of you husbands know what I'm talking about? If you don't, let me give you some marriage advice. Learn what the eye roll means, okay? Not in my notes. That one's for free. It's Valentine's Day. Learn the eye roll. It's going to save you some Some strife and some heartache and some pain, I promise you. No, but Jesus, you're going to know the truth. This word know is actually beyond head knowledge. It's not book knowledge. It's revelation. It's where the word of God comes alive and comes real. And it's, let me say it this way. It's when it no longer is words upon a page, but it's life unto your flesh and it's life unto your soul and it's life unto your spirit. That's what this word is talking about. It's that light bulb moment where it's like, I got it. Like I've never seen that, but all of a sudden, boop. And that's what happened to me in a moment. Like somebody switched a light switch. All of a sudden I realized that God did not want me to be this way. And for whatever reason, which I cannot tell you, I believed it. And when I walked out of that room that day, it was like, I, like the weight of the world had been lifted off of my shoulders. I felt like I could breathe. 
I didn't realize that I didn't feel like I couldn't breathe before. But it's like when the weight was lifted, all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness. Why? Because truth became revelation. Revelation is that I got it. Not here, but I really got it here. And that will produce change in us. And so even this graphic that we have for this series, it's on this little card, it's up there on the screen. It's got all, and you, this, you're probably like, hey, I, this, this is how I feel right now. That's why we're talking about this series. That's what we're talking about this content. Is why? Because we're all dealing with tons and tons and tons of, of just chaos. And really our minds become so clouded. And another way to say it is that our mind can get really loud. Like, I remember growing up, my mom would be like, y'all need to go outside so I can think. Any moms know what I'm talking about? Don't come back till it's dark, you know. That's when we knew. Like, hmm, I don't want to go back home. Come back and the door's locked or something, you know. I know your mom, I don't think my mom ever did that. Love you, mom. She might have a time or two, I don't know. No, but, but our minds can get so loud, and, and when they get loud, it becomes a place of confusion, and this chaos just gets louder and louder and louder, and it's like, man, I just want it to stop, right? And so, but in those moments, what happens is that it becomes hard to know which way to turn to get some help, and you just get caught up in the confusion and the chaos of the moment, but I've got good news for you is that Jesus is the help. I mean, I have nothing against going to a counselor. I have nothing against asking somebody to pray for you. But if your hope is in that counselor, if your hope is in that person who's praying for you, then your hope is misplaced. And we've got to really get to a place where we understand that Jesus came to what? To set the captives free. That he said, the spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, is upon me. Why? For God to show up. That's why Jesus said, I'm anointed for God to show up in your life. And the the thing is, is that that is still true today. And it doesn't matter what you may be dealing with, what you may be facing. I'm telling you is that Jesus really will change everything. When we submit to him, when we surrender to him. He changes everything about our life. And look, and it doesn't mean that, oh, everything's just going to be perfect and beautiful. But what it does mean is I know where to go when I need help. Is that I'm not trying to figure all this out by myself. Is that I have a God who loves me, who is for me. And even at my worst, he's still on my side. Because he said he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He'd never leave me without help. That's the promises of the word of God. Now, I'm going to put a little character on the screen, and some of you might age yourself a little bit here. How many of you know who this is right here? Smokey the Bear. How many of you don't know who Smokey the Bear is? Okay, good. Everybody knows who Smokey the Bear is. Now, what did Smokey the Bear communicate to us? There you go. Only you. He had that deep voice. Smokey the Bear is over 75 years old, by the way. I found out in my little mini bit of research. But he says, only you can prevent forest fires. You're like, why are you talking about Smokey the Bear? Because you're going to remember Smokey the Bear. That's why. But here's what I want you to hear. Because just like Smokey told us, only you can prevent a forest fire. Only you can deal with your mind. Jesus himself will not deal with your thoughts. Why? 
Because you are a free moral agent. In other words, you have free will. We can submit our will to God, but he will not override our will. Never. So only you can prevent the chaos in your mind. Now, God wants to work in our life and to help us move beyond these things. But the devil also, we have an enemy. I mean, let me just kind of level the playing field for everybody. You actually hear three voices. So you're all crazy, including me. Because you got your voice. You've got the voice of God and you've got the devil's voice. And you've got to figure out, the Bible would call it discernment. You've got to figure out whose thought was that. Now, it's not hard to know the difference between the Lord's voice or the Lord's thought and the devil's thought. God is good. Let me say it this way. When God speaks, there's peace. When the devil speaks, there's fear and chaos and confusion. Those are pretty easy to figure out. The challenge comes when you think it's your thought. And then you got to determine what voice am I, what, let me say it another way. What influence am I giving my ear to right now? And, And this is important and we need to understand this. And so we have to take the responsibility and the authority of our own headspace. Nobody else can do this for you. I mean, look, I can pray for you. Anybody else can pray for you all day long. But at some point, you've got to take responsibility and say, I'm responsible for what happens between my ears. Every one of us is responsible for this. And so what, So, one of the things that I want to communicate to you is that this, is that not everything is spiritual. Not everything that happens is a demonic force. Why? Because sometimes we make stupid decisions. That's not the devil's fault. That's my fault. I made a bad decision, and with a bad decision comes consequences. I was trying to communicate this to my almost four-year-old this week. Because she didn't want to, I can't remember what it was, but Max, my son, who's older, got to do something, and she didn't get to do it because she wasn't obedient. And she's crying. She takes after her mom a little dramatic. If you know my wife, you know that's not true. Dara says that, 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 that it's me in a girl body. And, um, <laughs> you know, so my wife knows me better than anybody. So I guess I probably have to agree with her on that. And, um, but, uh, but I was explaining to her, I was like, you know, there's, I was trying to explain to her the whole idea of like it, it, that, hey, there's, there's good things that come when we're obedient, but there's consequences when we're not. And, you know, there's consequences when we think wrong, too. Proverbs actually says it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So however you picture yourself, that's exactly who you're going to grow to be. Why? Because that's the standard. But that's why the Bible tells us that we need to renew our mind. We need to create some new mental pathways to begin to think. And so, but not everything is spiritual. Like sometimes I think we blame the devil and he's like, I didn't do that. Don't blame me. That was you. And sometimes there are things that people do to us. Not because they're even, I mean, some people are, have evil intentions, but not always. Sometimes people just 
make mistakes and they do things that aren't great. But what I would tell you is that I, and I, was, I would submit this to you to, to consider. Is that, thing, is that many things are more spiritual than you think. There's more going on in the background than you, than you realize. So not everything is spiritual, but more than you probably think is. And it's important to understand this when we're talking about our, our, our thought life and really all of these types of things. And so I've already mentioned this, but let me say it to you again. Is that not every thought that you have, everything that zips through your mind is yours. Not every thought that you have is true. Not every feeling that you have is accurate. I mean, can you imagine if we all lived according to our feelings? Most of us would not be at church today, including myself. It's cold, I'm warm, it's, it feels good. I don't want to get out of bed and go to church today. And guess what would happen? I'd wake up tomorrow and go, it's cold, I'm warm, it's cuddly. I don't want to go to work today. But then I would be disappointed when there was no paycheck because I didn't go to work. See, it's dangerous when we begin to buy into these lies that every feeling that I have is accurate. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had emotions, feelings until I got one little piece of information that all of a sudden I realized like all those negative emotions were based off of something that wasn't accurate. Or a thought that zips through our mind at a thousand miles an hour and all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? You ever had one of those thoughts? You're just like, why am I even, like, how did I, or you get down the rabbit trail away and then you're thinking like, how did I get down here? Like I was having a good day 30 minutes ago and all of a sudden one thought just derailed my whole attitude and took me down. And then I get down, and then I'm like, how do I get out of here? It's like, you know, it, it, it would be like if we had a trap door in the stage, which we kind of do right here. Thankfully, it doesn't fall in. It only comes up. But, you know, one of the ways of trapping an animal is to dig a hole and then put a mat or something over it so they don't know there's a hole. And they're running along, and then they go, Whoosh! and then they're trapped in the hole. Sometimes the devil does that with our thoughts. A thought comes through. And all of a sudden, we take the bait, and then we're stuck in the hole, and we're like, how do I get out of here? See, and what happens is that many times for us, mentally, those we can go back again and again and again and again to that same hole. And we wonder, man, why do I keep getting stuck down here? Why do I keep getting stuck down here? Maybe tomorrow will be better. So not every thought that you have is your own. Even the pressure that you feel many times actually isn't from the external. This happens in every relationship is that we begin to make decisions and, and have certain behaviors based off of what we perceived someone else's expectation is. I've had it happen before where I'm, I've been doing something for a period of time and then, and I've had it happen in different situations and settings and where, you know, and then I'm frustrated that I'm doing this and, and then I get asked the question, well, who asked you to do that? Well, it just, I it just needed to be done. And it's like, you don't need to be doing that. I mean, let me give you a little tip, by the way. This is good in business, good at work. When it comes time for a raise, here's what I would encourage you to do. Write down everything that you do. Everything that you do. 
because I pretty much guarantee you, your boss doesn't know what all you do. If you're a good employee and you're diligent, they probably don't know what all you do. I'll give you an example. Um, my secretary that worked for me when we were in Arkansas, she wrote up a list, a legal pad, 14 inches long, full of everything she did. And I set her free in a moment because I said, here's the seven things I want you to do. And anything that's not on that list, I have to approve it because she was doing all kinds of stuff for everybody else. I'm like, well, they committed they were going to do that. I mean, like a month later, she's like, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. I mean, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to get a raise or you're going to get some help. Either way, it's good. Somebody's going to use that, by the way. Let me know when you get that raise, by the way. Now, many times we we put expectations on ourselves and they can actually begin to produce a lot of negative effects in our lives. So, and I'm going to give you just a few of them. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but there's just a very few, just a couple major ones that we hear a lot about. Anxiety, depression, being overly stressed, phobias. You know, there's a fear of phobia. It's a really long word. I'm not going to attempt to say it. It's really long, but there's, there's even just fears. Then the list goes on and on and on. Here's an interesting fact for you. Do you know that you were only born with one fear? What was it? There you go. It's the only fear that you were born with. That a baby is afraid of falling. Every other fear that you face, you've learned. But here's the good news. If you learned it, you can unlearn it. Now, I'm not minimizing anything to do with mental health, but I'm just telling you, this is psychological fact. If you learned it, you can unlearn it. Now, you're not to yourself. You're not left. Because remember, we're spirit people. We have the Holy Spirit. And I've had the Holy Spirit check me a few times and say things like, don't think that. Because I can get caught up on a hamster wheel of my own thoughts and then... I'm ready to fight. Why? Because I have replayed this thing in my mind. It's called I meditate on it. I meditate on You've done this. We're in the South. We stew on something. And we just, I mean, you know, stewing makes for good gumbo. It does not make for good relationships. Because all of a sudden we blow up about something little and it's like Nuclear. Why? Because we allowed these expectations to build up on the inside of us. And so, you know, even when we're talking about these things, so we want to unlearn some unhealthy habits. But not from just a strictly natural perspective, because we are spirit people. But many of these symptoms are formed by thought processes. Let me say it another way. A regular, repeated Thought habit. That's how you begin to. So in technical terms, it's actually called a neuropathway. It's connect the dots in your brain. And sometimes you need to create a new path. You need to loop around A and B and go around. Why? Because this pattern is negative and it's not producing anything good for you. So it's time to create some new paths. And the Lord and the word of God will help you create these new paths. Now, you can go research this. This is psychology. But yet it's biblical and the Bible was written first. Isn't that amazing? 
It's like Terrence was talking about last week. It's like, man, God spoke to me five years ago, and it's amazing. God, you're a genius. He designed us. He knows how we work. He knows what will help us. So here's a thought for you is that you can only be as stable as your regular thought routine. What you think on, what you meditate on, what you give place to. These are the things that really make the difference in our life. And I believe what happens is that the enemy many times will come to us. And let me say it this way. I mean, it's super well Sunday. I'm going to use a sports analogy. If the play is working... Keep running the play. So the enemy, he's going to find a path that works to get you mentally bogged down. Because if you're mentally bogged down, it will affect you spiritually. You might be three parts, but everything affects one another. But if the enemy finds a way to kind of get a shortcut into your life and to derail you, he's going to keep taking you down that path until you, what, build up a barrier to stop. Or he's just going to keep running the play. Trust me, tonight, if Joe Burrow decides to drop back in the pocket and Jamar Chase is never covered, guess where the ball's going every time? For seven points in the end zone. Why? And if they never cover him, y'all dumb. Just <laughs> we can do this all day long. But how much are we doing that and allowing the devil to do that to us? He just keeps running the same play and the same play. And we keep falling for it. We keep falling for it. Are you tired yet? Have you had enough yet? Now, I'm going to share some, some, some scriptures with you here in the next few moments. Because the enemy is stealthy. And he's not just up front with us. But one of his greatest weapons really is the, the thought that gets sown into our mind. He's hoping that we'll grab it. He's hoping that we'll believe that it's ours, that it's actual true. But it's really the seed of deception. Deception is, just, is nothing more than you believe a lie. That's all deception is. Is that you believe a lie to be absolute truth. That's the enemy's ultimate goal. And, and so the Bible actually tells us, and I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 5, we're going to read through verse, or starting in verse 3, we're going to read through verse 5. It says that though we live in the world... In this physical world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. You're not just going to be mentally tough enough to overcome some things. It says, on the contrary, now again, he's, he's saying they here. What's he talking about? It says, on the contrary, your weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's an area of advantage for the enemy. That's what it is. That's what a stronghold is. It's a place that he's gotten, he set up camp in your mind. And he ain't paying rent. He's just living there free. But yet we've been given divine power. Our weapons are divine powers to demolish the work of the devil. It says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, all of these verses have a bit of a militant tone to them, which tells us how we should approach this. In other words, it's not passive. You've got to be aggressive. 
And, and here it says, we've been given mighty power, mighty weapons, that there's divine power to destroy the work of darkness. It says that we have to what? Bring them captive. Let me say it another way. You've got to wrestle that thought. It's not like, mm, leave me alone. Please, stop. Maybe if I just go over here and hide. The problem is, is that if the devil has a stronghold here, he's right there. So everywhere you go, he's with you. That thought is with you. Maybe not him physically, but that thought is with you. You've got to what? You've got to tear that thought out. How do I do that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. This is talking about the armor of God, and you can go and read, and it talks about having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, he put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, it goes through all the thing, all the pieces. But for the sake of time, I'm only going to read you one of them. He says, in addition to all of this other armor, take up the shield of faith. Well, what is faith? Your belief that God is right, that God's word is true. Doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I think. I put my faith, I put my trust, I put my hope in God's word that it's true. And I'm going to take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all of the fiery darts, the fiery arrows. What are those? They're thoughts. And the enemy is going to shoot some thoughts into your life saying, man, I wonder if I can get to the target. I wonder if I can get that really sewn into their thought life so that I can get it down into their heart because then I can control them. See, the biggest difference is that God does not want to control you. That's a big lie. But the devil absolutely does. God gave you the free will. The devil wants to take your free will. He wants control. And here it says that we can take the shield of faith. We can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. It says, take on the helmet of salvation. Where does the helmet go? On your head. Interesting. Flaming arrows, put a helmet on. The helmet of salvation, who you are in Christ. It says, and take the sword of the Spirit. So you got a shield, you got a helmet, but you've got a sword. The shield protects you, but the sword is how you start taking some ground. Every other part of the armor is defensive in nature, the sword is not. Like, well, what do you mean? Whatever you're dealing with mentally, you need to go find some scriptures that say and to agree with what God says about you. Give you an example. You may say, man, it doesn't matter what I do. I just never come out on, on top. Just, it doesn't matter what I do. I just always seem to get the short end of the stick. You need to stop saying that. No, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. God's got good things. He has a plan and a purpose. And it's not for my bad. It is for my good. It's going to bring me hope, not despair. And you need to begin to confess those things. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. And there's no more dominant influence in your life than your own voice. And I don't mean read it on a page. I mean, say it out loud. Why? Because every time you say it, you're creating a new pathway in your mind. A new pathway is getting carved in your mind. No, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not insufficient. I, I have more than enough because greater is he on the inside of me than anything in front of me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can't do it by myself, but Jesus is on my side. And because Jesus is on my side, he don't lose. And if he don't lose and I'm on his team, we ain't losing. And you may say, oh, but that's just that church language stuff. I'm telling you from my own experience, it works. I mean, I had a, one of the first things I did when I got saved was I started to write out scriptures that I would confess every day over my life. Daily confessions that I would begin to speak over me. Because I was keenly aware of my insufficiency. Very aware. But I had to learn, well, this ain't about me anyways. It's not dependent on me. God, if you want me to do something, you're going to have to help me do it because I'm an idiot. So, help. And you know what happened? I began to confess the word of God. I began to understand who I was in Christ. I began to see myself in scripture. James 3 talks about that. Is that we can go read the Bible and then we walk away forgetting who we, what we're like. No, the Bible is who I am. It is what I choose to believe about myself. Why? Because I believe that God is true and I may not be. That God is right and I may not be. And what everybody else has said about me may not be true. But what God says about me, it will prove to be true if I believe it, if I put faith in it. And so you're going to have to uproot some of those things that the enemy has put in you. But when they're coming, grab your shield of faith. Those accusations. That's one of the the names of the devil in Scripture is that he is the accuser of the brethren. In other words, he's going to come and make accusations about you. To you. Hoping that you're going to believe it. Well, you're good. You're not good for anything. This is just this is just the way your life's going to be. Says who? Because I serve the almighty God who is omniscient, who's all powerful, who's all knowing, who has all wisdom, who has all strength. And when I tap into him, I get everything that I need. So there's no challenge that's too big for my God. I just need to inform my problem of who my God is. And then all of a sudden, what? My perspective begins to change. My faith begins to rise. The enemy's voice gets quieter. It's amazing how that works, by the way. When you start speaking the word of God, all of a sudden, he kind of shuts up. I mean, this is how Jesus in Luke 4 overcame the devil in the wilderness, by the way. He says, I'll give you all this if you just will do this. And Jesus says, no, the word of God says, do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4 say this. The apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. It says, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, it says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one that you preach or that we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one that you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Here's what I would tell you don't believe anything that anybody says unless you can see it in the Word of God. I don't care if I said it. I don't care if anybody, if you can't see that, hey, it makes sense according to God's word, don't believe it. Because God guarantees his word, not everybody else's. And this is important. And so what do we do? Now, this is, I'm going to give you one pretty practical thing today. One. And it's an acronym. It's the word push. Now, I've heard this preached and said many different ways, but I, I want to, so it's 
pushed, just like you think, right up there in case you don't. But how do I begin the process of unlearning some things in my mind? The Bible is very clear, and Pastor Terrence actually talked about this last week, is that it's not just a mental exercise to get over something. You've got to take those burdens somewhere. He talked about journaling. Maybe you need to learn to journal. You need to start writing out things. Maybe you need to go talk to a counselor. Maybe you need to carve out some space to have some friendship time with friends. I mean, life gets busy, and it's amazing how it gets busy, and all of a sudden you, you had all these close friends, and you're still close friends. You just don't connect. You have to be intentional. And you're like, man, I just need some friend time. I need to go laugh. I just need to be with people I enjoy. But you've got to make it happen. You've got to be intentional. Well, the same thing is, is, is true in our relationship with God. And so I would say you push. This is what I mean by that is that you pray until something happens. And I don't mean externally. Many times we want to pray until we see it. This is what I would encourage you to do. Is that you need to pray about the things that you're dealing with until you change. When you change, it will change. Many times we want God to answer our prayer, but we don't want God to change us. Because I've walked through some stuff in my life. And sometimes the circumstances change and sometimes they didn't. But there are times that, I, that I've gotten all of my own thought life and kind of gotten in my own way. And then I start praying about it until something shifts on the inside of me. Like just practically, you need to pray until there's peace. If there's confusion and chaos, you ain't done yet. Now, I don't just mean like, I'm going to go lock myself away. I'll be back when I'm better. Like, you still have a life. You still have responsibilities. But what I'm saying is that you need to have the mindset is that I'm not going to stop praying until, until God does something in me. Why? We were singing about earlier when we were worshiping. Jesus changes everything. Yeah, when I get into his presence, when I prioritize getting to where he is, he does change everything, but not remotely. I've got to come close to him. And so we've got to adjust and, and really constantly adjust our internal dialogue. Until it becomes, uh, really comes in line or into agreement with what God's word and God's heart for you is. You're like, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Go read his word because that is his will for you. Paul told Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind, a peaceful composition in your heart and in your life. See, the presence of God really is the cure of a thousand ills. I've seen it happen in many different ways. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, but God's presence is the answer every time. And look, either way, if I get into the presence of God, one of two things is either going to happen. God's either going to give me the grace to walk through it or God's going to remove it. But either way, I need God to work. Because sometimes we want God, we want to, we want to pray for God to remove us for things that God says, yeah, but I need you, I need some development in your character. And this is like taking off the rough edge. You're like, yeah, but I don't like it. Let me just set you free a little bit. God doesn't care about what you like. God wants you holy, not happy. 
There's a big difference. Now, he'll be loving. He's, he, he's the greatest surgeon ever. And God can heal things and mend things and do things in our life and in our thought processes in a moment. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's mind-blowing. But it really is in the presence of God. You say, why do we worship? Like, why do we worship before I preach every week? You ever thought about that? Why do we do songs? Can't we just get to the preaching and go home a little quicker? You're missing the point. Of course, some of you are like, hey, can we just worship and you not preach? That'd be great. <laughs> Which I would be okay with that. Now, the reason that we worship, the Bible actually says it's like taking a tiller to hard soil. And we're breaking up the ground. Why? Because our heart gets hard during the week. And sometimes you've got to worship when you don't feel like it. Why? Because the heart just gets hardened. And so it's like, man, I don't feel like it. That's the time you need to worship the most. I don't feel like singing them songs. Well, you're missing the point. I'm inviting the presence of God when I begin to open up my mouth. I'm making room for God to come in because I vitally need his presence. And so here's my question for you today. I'm going to bring in this card. What, what's crowding my headspace? You may have an answer right now. You may not have one. Put it on the dash of your car. One day you're going to be driving, thinking about something. You're going to look down and be like, oh, I got my answer. <laughs> I know what's crowding my headspace. What's crowding your mind today? What's, what's crowding your thoughts today? Hebrews chapter 4 gives us some wisdom, some instruction. It says that we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. Jesus is not discouraged by your humanity. At all. The Bible says that he has sympathy. Why? Because the Bible keeps going here. It says, for he understands humanity. Let me say it this way. Jesus gets you. He understands you. He's not like, man, that one there, that just didn't come out quite right, did it? No, he gets you. He doesn't want to change you. He created you the way that you are for a reason. And it says that he understands you. For he was a man. He said, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are. And yet he, he conquered or overcame sin. So because Jesus did that, now we can come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. And receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. When we get into the presence of God, there's not judgment, there's love. There's grace, there's goodness. There's God's ability for you. So you have no reason to avoid the presence of God. None. It's one of the greatest places you will ever find yourself. Is in the presence of God. And you don't have to come to, you don't have to be at church to experience the presence of God. You don't have to be in some uber spiritual environment. Those things can help, I guess. But the presence of God is not reserved for those places. No, it says that when we need it the most. I love how this translation says it. It says that we discover the grace that we urgently need. 
Some of you urgently need the grace of God. And I don't mean that as an accusation. I just mean it as a fact. You're stuck. And the only way you're going to get out is by the grace of God. You're in a rut. You know what a a definition of a rut is, right? It's an open-ended grave. If you stay in that rut, you will die. Maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But yet, the Bible says here is that, hey, grace is available. So I'll give you one of my little headspace things. One of mine. Is that I refuse to stress myself out over things that I can't control or change. I'm a control freak. I've got plans for my plans and my backup plans. And if this happens, I'm going to do this. I done looked at it 15 different ways. Which has a good thing. That can be good. But can be very negative too. I can get really frustrated and all up in my emotions about things that I want to try to maneuver or however you want to say it. Maybe that maybe you identify with that. So here's so this is what I would encourage you to do. Write down the thing that you're not going to do. And then go find you a a scripture to say, this is what I'm going to do. Because you can't just say, I'm not going to do that. You got to you got to replace it with something else. So I refuse to stress myself out. Over things that I can't control or change. And so what do I do. With these things that I can't change or control. I'm going to trust God. That's what I'm going to do. That's the decision that I'm making. So when I find myself in a situation. Where I'm getting all. In my feels about it. I'm going to trust God. You know God I'm going to pray. And I'm going to trust you with this. I can't change it. But I'm going I'm to give it to you. See, we can't, we can't control most anything that happens on the outside. We really can't. Most of what happens in life, we're, it's not in our control anyways. But what we can do and what we have the authority to do and the ability to do is to change what's happening on the inside of us. Let me give you like, let me make it very practical. You can't change what anybody's going to say to you today. But you can change how it affects you. Like you ever heard the phrase hurting people hurt people? And yet when somebody says something very cutting, very sharp to us, we'll take that and just take, oh, like that's fact. As opposed to saying, you know what? I bet they're actually really hurting. I should pray for them. What am I doing? I'm using the shield of faith. And say, nope, I'm not going to let that arrow from the enemy come. I'm not going to let it hit the target. I'm going to stop it with my faith and I'm going to pray for them. And look, if there's any truth to what they say, learn, grow. Not everything somebody says is just bad. Some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned were when people were honest with me. Even if I disagree with 95% of it, I'm always like, if if there's a shred of truth in what they said, I want to do something about it. And I want to grow and I want to develop. And so I want to encourage you. Take this card. Take it with you. Start writing it out. Hey, I refuse to do this anymore. I refuse to give in to this pressure. I refuse to, to, to be manipulated. That was something I dealt with for years. I just wanted to make everybody happy. I just want to make everybody happy. I just want everybody to make everybody happy. I just want to make everybody happy. Guess what? You can't make everybody happy. 
And there was a moment in my life that I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm tired of making everybody happy or trying to because I can't anyways. And I learned the beautiful gift of no. It was freeing for me. Because I'd get run over. Just to make everybody else happy. That may be for you today. You need to start saying no to some folks. I'm not going to be everybody's doormat. I'm not just going to be treated by any old way by everybody. No, I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord, but I know that I have value. And I have value because I'm valuable to God. Not just because of who I am or what I, what I can do. It's none of those things. And so I want to pray this morning over you.